Hi, I'm Dr. Gordon Ressler, the president and founder of Robots in Space. And if you want to get the latest in space technologies and business, listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. You know, we had a guest on recently who moved from Germany to Australia and transplanted himself there and has done very well in the space industry. Today's guest did the exact opposite. He started out in Australia and has moved to Germany and has done very well there. His name is Simon Drake. He and I have had a couple of really great conversations about uh, strategic space value chain thought. Every venture capitalist worth their salt is interested in capturing as much of the supply chain uh, so he's got a few ideas that he's working on for that. He's the uh, CEO of something called the Lunar Resources Registry, which could fill a gap in the in the international legal area about who has what on, on the moon. He's the CEO of something called the Space Commodities Exchange, which is uh, trying to solve this problem uh, that we're going to talk about today. How do the uh, regular members of the public invest in space? And of course, he's the managing director, co-founder and partner at Space Ventures Investors. Not to be confused with Space Ventures, which is uh, with Brent Arsenault and uh, Aaron there. And those guys, <laughs> they know each other and, uh, and they, they play well together. Uh, but this is Space Ventures Investors with Simon Drake. So... Let's get into a really great conversation here. Simon is very knowledgeable, and like I said, we've had a couple of uh, sort of off-camera, deep-level conversations, which I've enjoyed tremendously. Simon, welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. So let's jump right into it. What is your vision of regular people being able to invest in space? My vision of regular people investing in space is that they have a more direct input into space ventures that have definite targets. So at the moment, theoretically, as a, as a shareholder in a listed company, you can invest in space by investing in you know, a company that has a, a fleet of satellites. Hmm. Um, or you could be a shareholder of Virgin Galactic. Um, but my ultimate vision is that people are backing companies that are listed or private that have uh, definite goals, which are kind of beyond what we already have at the moment, or different op operations, for example, a lunar mining or something like that. Okay. Um, and so can one investor really make a difference? Depends how big their uh, ticket is. <laughs> that, and that's always been the case, I think, with... Uh, if you look at the the big, you know, billionaires boys club that you know kicked off, uh, and we now know them as SpaceX and um, you know Blue Origin, they've really made a difference. But they came from a, a dot com era, um, you know, wealth where they amassed a certain amount of wealth and uh, on, uh, on companies that you know generate that wealth that enabled them to pivot into space uh, as for a smaller individual investor i think a high net worth investor can make a difference to a new startup because they can bring along uh, a, you know, a sizable seed investment to a new startup but also that sizable seed investment gives that uh, space startup uh, more confidence to go ahead and approach other investors down the line, when you get to retail investors, uh, I don't think you know one retail investor makes a difference, but it is when you put them all together, uh, they do make a difference because um, people are proud of their investments when they're doing well. So if you have retail investors saying, you know, oh, I've invested in something unique, uh, they'll gladly talk to people about it. And you know, spreading the word is a really important thing about space investing because there's a lot of confusion about it. And that's what a lot of my work is, is investor education. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a sidestep to that. What kind of confusion do you most commonly see about space investing? Um, I think it's the, well, first of all, there's the visual and some people, you know, they say that their first memory of space is, you know, uh, the Apollo landings and, you know, astronauts on the moon. 
Uh, my first memory of space is a space shuttle blowing up on the television news, you know, and that was in 1986. So that was my first kind of like visual cue the, of, of what this what this was about. Uh, since then, you know, things have moved on and, you know, media has moved on. So there's this kind of misconception that it, it is highly risky and um, things blow up. Now, the thing is, it is highly risky and things do blow up. Um, but on the other side, you look at the uh, stock market crashes that um, have come and gone. <laughs> There's risk anyway, and things blow up. It could be a biotech company, you know, it could be any kind of company. So that's one num number one confusion. Second confusion is that uh, it's quite easy to make a space company. It's not. It's uh, built on you know decades, generations of skill going into making space technology, and then because we're dealing with the commerce side of space commerce then you have to find a proper business model mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to, to pull in the capital to make the operation of a business. And today, only the large, I think only the large satellite companies have really managed to do that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's something I can echo, Simon, having talked to many commercial side of space founders, is that business model is just not there. It's missing. Uh, they have a they have a wonderful idea, of technology that may work out, may not. But uh, you know, it's finding the customers, and then creating a, a revenue model that covers costs and produces a profit. As simple as that sounds, again, not present in most of the conversations that I've had. So, um, so you, you know, you're you're part of an organization that uh, works with investing. Tell us a little bit about without pitching, obviously, um, some of the things that, that you have done and been involved in. Uh, as an individual or, or as part of uh, our both, company? Both is fine. Okay. Um, as an individual, I came to this from having worked in different areas like in investment banking and marketing and small businesses and also sh share trading. So uh, I brought a, a whole toolkit of skills to this and when we co uh, when we founded space ventures investors our our task was really to work out our roadmap and work out who our target investors were mm. and work out what in this case space startups we wanted to be invested in so fortunately for the last few years i was part of the copernicus program in europe selecting uh startups well, earth observation startups for funding in europe uh, and that enabled us to um, leverage that skill acquired to invest at early stage in two Earth observation startups. And for me, that's that's something that's really tangible as a downstream space business because you get a good idea of you know who the target market is. It, you, you're not dealing with complete um, high-level business concepts, which we'll get to next. Mm. Um, so yeah, Earth observation is, is kind of a stable thing. It's well understood, and there's a lot there's a lot more room to maneuver. Like when you think of the the immense power you have with a simple Google Maps app on your smartphone compared to 20 years ago. Um, now, if you think of that, you know, magnification of you know power and information. If you if now if we go ahead two years of you know, think of how much more information you'll have on your on a Maps app. And I think that's the goal where Earth observation is is making inroads. Um, on the other side, because I'd come from a, a, you know, worked in many different industries, I also knew that investors wanted space resources. So we spent a lot of our time working out space resources business models and going back to the basics of what makes a space resources business model. Um, once you carve away all the the flashy concept of of where we'll be in a hundred years, you have to say, well, well, where are we going to be in 10 years? And, and how can I make something now that it will get us there? Right. Right. Yeah. Because we've got that, that shorter investor window, you know, eight, 10, 12 years at the top where they need their money back. And uh, there's only a few uh, folks out there who have a longer time horizon. That, that is, that is true. But what, what I found is from the data we've received from our, our space investing surveys, a, a lot of investors are factor in a, a long-term 10-year return on investment horizon uh -huh. with high risk. And, but at the same time, they kind of see that as um, something like almost like a side bet, I think, at uh, this stage. Okay. 
Yeah, it's it's not like, you know, well, thank God no one's, you know, putting, you know, 100% or 50% of their portfolio in it. You know, that'd just mm. be way too much responsibility. But it, I can really see that when I talk to, you know, retail investors, they're putting in something small, but it's, it's still significant because when you mm-hmm. accumulate it all, then you can actually start doing things with it. Okay. And, and I liked some words <laughs> that you just said, like survey and, you know, customers, investors, you know, actually finding out data rather than guessing or imagining running a little mental movie in your head of uh, what you would do. Uh, and so, yeah, to this point, you know, we've got accredited investors, they can go and invest and whatnot, but what is stopping regular members of the public from being able to invest in space companies? Uh, regulation. That that is one thing. Uh, education that's another. Um, I think regulation is uh, a necessary burden of paperwork because it actually screens out the people who um, are doing it on a whim. Mm. Um, this is what I find is that when you abide by regulation and you you know you keep it in focus, it it just helps the pro- makes the process a lot more transparent. Uh, but back to regular smaller investors, I mean, they, they can partake in things like, you know, there might be an equity crowdfunding raise for a company um, outside the U.S. jurisdiction. I know, I know the, the U.S. has the different regulation than the U.K. and Europe and so on. Um, but the big, the big question is, you know, if, you, if you're a potential space investor, you know, where do you go? You really have to look around and... I think recently there's been uh, a growth in uh, funds that kind of have mm. a basket of stocks, but I actually don't think that they're very that pure space because a lot of time a fund with a basket of stocks has just got your big aerospace companies in there mm. who, who have a small space business relative to the aerospace. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, do, do your own research. And um, I think, because space is, is a growing industry, it's also very exciting because you can, you can mm. find these companies um, and be part of the you know, experience, so to say. Okay. Well, that, that is another question, I guess, is how are members of the public, even if they could pass through some sort of regulatory uh, entrance to be able to invest in these companies, how, how can they find them? Because uh, we know that these small commercial space businesses uh, that are just starting up haven't figured out their business models. So their positioning isn't that great and they're not good at marketing and that they'll be the first to tell you they're not great at it. You know? Yeah. This, this is a really good point. And that, and that's how we came in because we recognize that on, on the one side, you might have, you know, a lot of small investors on the other side, you've got a, you know, a few space startups that you know need seed funding or series a or series b now a a space startup is usually run by let's just say that they're very academic and technical and that you know marketing is not their number one skill set and why should it be and also they don't want uh a lot of retail investors on their uh, cap table or listed as as small minority shareholders because it makes things a bit problematic later when they want to deal with a a fund or a or a strategic investor so for us it was a we decided well let's let's position ourselves in the middle where we can raise capital from regular investors and funnel that to space startups that need it and where we actually know the management and uh, understand what the business model is and can keep an eye on it but I, I think this this industry is growing as it is, and it'll 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 take innovation to to really get there too. Okay, yeah, because it, it's launch once again. Launch is the most visible part of the the thing for the public. Uh, they see that it's inspiring and whatnot. But it's such a it's just one piece of it, right? There's so much more. Uh, that they can invest in, and uh, that's where that education comes in, I guess. Is uh, yeah. You know, so what, what do you do as far as educating these folks um, at, at this point? And, and where do you want to take that? Um, my shift on education goes back to the data that we were getting in about mm-hmm. potential space investors was actually shaped our direction. Hmm. Um, 
I noticed that about 40, 50% of potential investors, they given the choice between normal space commerce and space resources, they would, you know, want space resources and some, you know, really want asteroid mining. Now, mm. asteroid mining is, is like way out there, like pardon the pun. And that is probably going to be up for our children or grandchildren um, mm. and, and their robot friends. So, but to me, this kind of investor appetite for space resources was a, a case to build a business and it actually inspired me to form a, a spin-off company called the Lunar Resources Registry, which looked at something like the lunar surface as, as if it was a mining you know, operation. Now, under space law, you can't own anything on the lunar surface, so we'll just get that out of the way. But uh, countries do allow, under their space mining laws, a way that to you know you can extract resources and then that has a commercial value so how i got there was by going back to the data and seeing that people actually wanted to invest in these kind of in, in space resources hmm. um, and then it was a case of finding a space resources business model which was possible and achievable and that got me to talking to a lot of people in the space resources community that the supply chain to make let's call it a lunar resources operation to make a supply chain to make that possible um it exists but obviously part, a lot of it doesn't exist or it mm. needs to be you know take existing mining equipment and, and harden it and work out how to survive a lunar night and and so on yeah yeah it's um i feel like dylan taylor and voyager is moving in that direction uh with their capabilities but yeah the the sharp uh, lunar regolith uh, eating up gaskets and things like that. You've got to um, <laughs> alter the equipment a little bit and, and be able to fix things or replace things out there. Yeah, um, it's, it's, an, it's an engineering challenge that mm -hmm. when, when you go into it and you, you, know, you go through the checklist of things which are out to you know, kill you, mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the engineering challenge is, is is part of the allure of it as well. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, pe people look at the moon and they go, oh, isn't that beautiful? Um, you know, and I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a dangerous place. You <laughs> right. know, like, and it is trying to murder you in your sleep. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. And if you go to sleep there, will you wake up? You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and and we've got a lot of research on there. Uh, Dr. Paul Van Suzante, who, who was a guest on the show recently, his students uh, won an award for what they're doing uh, with lunar rovers and that. So um, there are always advancements going on. We're getting pieces of this stuff. Uh, however, here's here's a worry that I have. Uh, how do we avoid having space investment by the public turn into this uh, free for all driven by hype? You know, and, and we see this like with Bitcoin right now, let's say. Uh, actually, over the last several years, that's happened a few times. Um, you know, it it's a strange thing because obviously space investing is nowhere near the hype of um, any of the other hypes. And space investing could very well benefit from the hype. If you look at the... <laughs> okay the dot-com hype, yeah. that capital that was raised that enabled the building of um, communication hubs and mm. infrastructure, which en enabled us to have the digital revolution. Um, now, if you invested in something like pets.com or something, that's another story. But after the hype comes, you know, the hangover um, and then comes the, you know, the rebuilding of particular industries. I, I don't think space investing will have that hype because it's not such an instantaneous uh, result. Mm. For example, a social media company can say, oh, we're, we're growing in, in eyeballs or users, you know, double every day, blah, blah, blah. And they have a hockey stick growth and, and every, everyone's excited. Uh, with the space commerce business models and, you know, space resources business models. It takes years to plan, years to build, years to put together. 
there can't be some, I don't think there's room for this kind of speculation because tomorrow might be different than today. Or I might, you know, some investor might think, oh, I can double my money in six months. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen because a lot of these space business models take so many years to play out. And, you know, on the way, you're going to have accidents and delays. Yeah, but... But even then, it would be interesting if there was even just a mini hype, just just to kick things off, you know, like okay. um, hum, human investing behavior is, is, you know, a beast of its own. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've seen this in the past where, well, I, you know, there's there's an example of, a, of a, a business model where there was money being put in from from the homeland kind of thing by by members of the public uh, and they were sending out uh, ships and, and taking a very long time, right, years perhaps to go out uh, to the other side of the world. This was clearly in a time uh, with sail power um, yeah. that, that I think we should discuss here um, yes. because I think there are some parallels between that and and what we might see in space investing. Yeah, the um, the background is that, so Isaac Newton um, got his fingers burnt in the, uh, in the South Sea bubble, which was a bubble based on the South Sea stock, which was a company that was given a privilege by the British government to trade. Now, because it was given this privilege by the British government, every, investors dived in. And if you look at the chart, you know, which is thanks to... Uh, Mark Faber, you know, from the uh, the gloom, boom, and doom report, um, you can see when Newton enters and you know he he exits happy, his friends get rich. He re-enters into this into this bubble, and then when it blows up, he he enters broke. And um, his 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 final quote from this is, "I can calculate the motion of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of people." Now, what we see. In um, I won't mention certain uh, asset classes, but they they seem to me like they're in a bubble. And because I'm now 45, I have the benefit of I don't know maybe 25 years of, of observing human behaviour and the the markets. And so if I can sense a bubble, um, I can't really share that with people who if it's their first time hmm. yeah so that yeah they're going to miss the the signals and maybe buy into the hype a little much um so so what is the, the warning i guess that we can take away from that south sea example for people uh today uh uh the war <laughs> there's this there's so many warnings that i i think the the real signal of a warning is that um, I guess it's back to fear of missing out. Mm. You know, th this is a human sentiment. And from an investor point of view, it's, it's, it's one of the things you, you really have to conquer. I find within, with investing, personal investing, I'll just talk, talk about that yeah. is you have to, you know, deal with yourself before mm. dealing with, you know, the market and the, and the market these days is, you know, you could almost say, well, it's it's different this time. And um, interestingly enough, I, I just finished reading Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, hmm. which is probably written about a hundred years ago. And uh, I was reading sections of it, thinking this this sounds like cryptocurrencies. <laughs> just how particular investment things are marketed and, and word of mouth, you know, amplifies a certain element of of, of an investment and, and how people go about making their decisions. Mm -hmm. So we've been there before. We're in it again. Um, how does it work with space investing? I think that we have to go through a, a, a next market crash or bubble popping or, or maybe, you know, the market goes up and up and, you know, then something calamitous happens like there's a, a currency revaluation. I think we're going to have to go through a bit of a, a storm before uh, space investing will go into phase two where it becomes more mainstream. I think people are going to have to get out of their system. There's, there's, a, there's a traction with, um, you know, social media, um, cryptocurrencies, and it'll just take time. And we have time. So, 
Okay. Well, yeah, I, I guess as a continuation um, from, from those observations, then are there any unexpected results that you would predict happening uh, from opening up space investing to, to members of the public? Uh, yes, it would be, um, they would probably vote with their feet and their dollars. And it would be a case of the entrepreneurs being able to present realistic projects and realistic goals mm. that captures the imagination of the people in order to invest accordingly. So, and it would be interesting to see what business models, um, that the, that the people really want. Um, for example, you know, you could say, you know, we're going to build, you know, better satellite constellations or we're going to mine resources on the dark side of the moon or something like that, or, or we're going to have a Mars colony as, as you know, even though that's far out in terms of time. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what people want to put their money into because the, the, the crowds have their own ability to... Um, change history and destiny will it work i don't know i think at, at the moment for myself when i'm dealing with you know coming up with business models and 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 trying them with space investors is you know we just try and work out what's practical near term and and illustrate that rather than going for the the larger bigger picture because the bigger picture is just a, just a bit too far out there hmm so, I mean, how do you reconcile that? Because you get, you've done the survey, you got the data, they say asteroid mining, you know, resources, that's what we want. Uh, and then you have to temper that with, well, okay, but that's not happening in the next two years or five minutes, you know, in, in uh, perception time. How do you, how do you get them to the next step and say, look, um, and that's the education function, I guess. Say, yeah, yeah. Look, look to, 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 to proceed to that, we need to develop these capabilities. So I recommend you invest in these companies. Is that the approach or is it going to be something different? Yeah, no, it, it, that, that is the approach where you, if you look at something like um, asteroid mining, you can actually build a business out of it, but it's more related to the data behind the asteroids. Mm-hmm. And, sure. but you, you couldn't realistically create a company that says they're going to, you know, capture an asteroid and, and mine it because you know, that that's too far away. I don't, I don't know if the technology even exists to do that. You know, momentous, space, momentous is probably close, closest. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're all trying for, yeah, yeah, they're all trying for it. Um, but realistically, it comes down to what's achievable now and what the roadmap is and, and not to get too far away. And one of the fears I have is that if the space commerce community is presenting grand ideas and let's say there's five of them mm-hmm. and, and they're all well-intentioned and let's say one idea has a spectacular failure and yep. the media gets hold of it, then, then the whole space commerce investing community suffers because the media loves a failure you know (laughs) yeah repeat it a million times yeah Yeah, repeat it a million times no no, and and our um engineering advisor dr rick fleeter he's always he's got way more experience than i do and he's the one who's always telling me look 20 years ago this happened right there was a flowering of the space industry a little bit things look good and then suddenly it collapses a hundred thousand people laid off not an exaggeration and uh, and we're back to square one for a long time right so yeah it looks good now Uh, (laughs) we 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 need to you know scatter some seeds and and uh, plow some rows and and get some some wins here uh some very public wins that we can talk about too and and like you say that the the grandiose or big picture ideas are wonderful but we also need small successes uh on the way that say look we develop this kind of infrastructure or we actually have the capability to do uh, this chunk of it now. And uh, that may not be as sexy or exciting to read about in a magazine article or something, uh, but I think that's what we need to invest in. Yeah. It's funny because actually things do move in practical manners. Mm. For example, the, the, the latest space renaissance 
you know, for want of a better word, has really been about the, you know, something like SpaceX really is, is the cheerleader of them all. Um, and the goal is, you know, cheaper access to space. And the question is, okay, well, if, if they provide that and, and hopefully, you know, they continue to do that and other players can do it as well, then the, the next generation of, of entrepreneurs has to provide the next pasture or, or, the, or the next green field. Hmm. And what do you do with that cheap access to space? Yeah. And, and from my research, it's, well, number one is, is space debris. Is, is making sure that, you know, th that issue is, is dealt with um, ra rather than just, you know, monitoring space debris, someone will have to actually start, you know, cleaning up hmm. um, defunct satellites. And then the next thing you can do with cheaper launch is, and with the existing technology is say, well, where's our next destination? And for me, I think in my life, the next destination is, is the moon. Hmm. It's, it's, it's not that far away. Um, it's been studied and it's, it's a destination for, you know, for us. Mm -hmm. it, it also, it's an inescapable de destination as well. Like um, there's no use trying to skip past it on, on the way to Mars. Yeah. Um, maybe, I think Mars is something for the, you know, our children's generation, children's children. But I think for this, for this period in time, it really is about, getting to de get dealing with the the harsh environments of the, of the lunar surface in order to make operations that work there in the system to go back and forth mm -hmm. yeah and, and normalizing that right where it's just normal to get on a transport and go to the moon and we've got um, a group of people there permanently and uh, and are doing work there and some sort of economic benefit too um i yeah. personally have never bought into the idea of oh we should just go there and create science labs um that's not a enough as far as i'm concerned of a compelling reason uh, we need to actually go create something yeah it's it it is it is a tricky one because um i'm one of the co-founders of the space commodities exchange based in the US and our goal is to have orbiting terminals between earth and the moon. And, and part of the business model is working out the value of commodities that come from the lunar surface, you know, like say water mm -hmm. as a great one um, and how much it would be worth to bring it back into like a geosynchronous orbit. Huh. Um, so the, the economics of having operations on the moon that are outside tourism and mm -hmm. strictly science is still being developed yep. and we're still trying to work out, you know, like the killer business model that says, okay, we want to go to the moon and it might be helium three. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've spent like the, I spent my last lockdown period looking at maps of the moon, thanks to data from NASA. Um, and just trying to work out, you know, what is, what is the secret to the moon? You know, mm -hmm. like, um, what what resources can we extract from it that help us on our way to, to other places? And how can that fit in right now or the, sorry, the next 10 years into uh, a commercial system? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that if we had some sort of infrastructure there uh, that we could pull out certain resources and bring them back to Earth orbit cheaper than throwing them out of the Earth gravity well, that's pretty interesting. Um, it is a secondary thing, though, because it, those resources then have to be used, right? So there has to be something going on in Earth orbit that requires um, those that fuel or those those resources. Yeah, um, it's, and it's, so uh, you know, it's like, uh, and we're in that zero to one phase right now, where um, it's a little hard to imagine what's what's going to happen but as soon as we get to one we're going to get to like three or five really quickly i think yeah. where everybody's going to go oh it's obvious now yeah. we're doing this now we create x in in earth orbit and bring that back down or or do something else with it that makes money um and that i think is the key is figuring out uh what what is that primary economic driver uh and then we can get other things to fuel it but that's yeah. that's definitely the hard part that, 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 is, that is something that I've been trying to focus on is you need a destination. Mm -hmm. you need, therefore, you need a structure. Um, as a re great example is 
if the destination and the structure is some kind of orbiting infrastructure space station or some kind of base on the moon uh, that's built from, um, let's just say, metals extracted from the lunar surface, it might be in-situ resources utilization um, as one example. Now, to build that structure, to refine regolith, to get the metals out of it, these are all complicated processes of, of a you know a very long supply chain, and the question I have is you know is it is it up to our space agencies to come up with this destination like like where do we go after the international space station? Yeah, do we go to a a, a lunar space station? Is it going to be big enough to warrant uh, actively processing regolith for metals in order to build it or build a lunar base? And what I have a funny feeling is space agencies, they can only do so much because at the end of the day, they are tied to governments and governments mm -hmm. are tied to voters and trying to convert um, all voters into uh, space infrastructure spenders. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a tough, it's, it's, tough it's, a feel, it's a feel, it's a feels errant. So therefore the, the question I have is, you know, we, we've seen this, you know, insatiable appetite for cryptocurrencies which i don't want to get in you know uh, a fist fight with you know the bitcoin fanatics but as far as i'm concerned it's just still bytes you hmm. know buzzing around on your usb stick um what happens if we had that fanatism fanatism in in investing targeted on a, a structure that was off world that in order to build required rolling out a supply chain that includes resource extraction from the lunar surface. Mm. And this kind of concept, I think, is, is slowly kind of creeping in into the uh, space investor mindset that if you want things as bold and shiny as, you know, rockets, um, investing in launch is gone. It's, 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 the train has left the station. Um, but the next thing is, I think, will be a structure hmm. that's in space or on the lunar surface uh, that's commercial, that's big enough and scalable, um, that it, it, it enables us to raise enough money to build it mm -hmm. using existing uh, financial instruments. You know, it might be it might be a listed company or it might be bonds related to it. I'm not sure. Um, but what it does is it's a commercial orientated structure. Therefore it's funded by investors. It's, it's not reliant on space agencies. It's not reliant on committee decisions from governments because they, they've got enough going on at the moment. So I, I really think that the, the, the private individual, private investor will play an important part in, in the next big leap. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we've got all these pieces right you've got you've got bill kemp's and, and united space structures that can build something like that on the moon uh, you've got dan faber with the gas stations in space idea you've got astroscale uh able to do the orbital cleanup um so so all these and there are other organizations that can do pieces of these things those are the three that are uh, top of my mind though when it comes to those particular topics so uh, but that, that, there's that need for that economic driver that I see, though, that primary, like, what the heck are we doing, right? We, we're not just going to go out there to build a, a structure on the moon because we feel like it, right? Yeah, um, or it's a casino. The sentiment <laughs> is gone there, right? Although, although uh, uh, honestly, a casino, <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a known business model there, and yeah. it does have a lot of cash flowing through it. So the <laughs> that might actually be better than than a lot of other ideas, but uh, yeah, I, I think we've really got to discover that that primary motivator. That uh, what are we going to create uh, that that adds value, right? That creates okay. value. Um, yeah, that that that's that's, that's going to drive everything else. Yeah, the the interesting driver could be um, is that as we. First of all, I, I'm not an environmentalist and I'm not trying to play that card. But what I have noticed is when you follow through with the environmental mindset and, and my theory is, well, why dig up a rainforest for rare earth metals? And, you know, whether it's an open cut mine or whatever. Mm -hmm. well, an open cut mine is a great example. 
But why do that on Earth when you can do it on the lunar surface? And more conveniently, do it on the dark side of the moon, you know, the yeah. far side of the moon, yeah. um, where, you know, there are metals. It's just, it's just a different, completely different environment, completely different mining techniques and completely different geology. Mm. Um, all we have to do is, you know, get our head around all that and raise the capital to do it. But it actually saves Earth from being mined. I mean, why do we do it mm. when we can do it somewhere else? And, you know, there is no rainforest on the moon and unless if i'm wrong tell me you know so <laughs> interesting concept yeah um yeah, and again, so it, all it, those engineering things the temperature and that uh and, and, and having talked to many lunar mining experts they everything seems to be upside down or backwards whatever you think of as normal on earth as far as mining goes just just flip your head around and it's the opposite and you're probably in a good spot to start off with um, but yeah, I, you know, I kind of like that idea. Um, it, it, I think environmentalists will go, well, we shouldn't be doing it anywhere anyway. Uh, but I don't know. Well, I, I like my stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, yeah, we, we love our stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and we, we can't go back to, uh, you know, the 18th century mm -hmm. where your prime, you know, piece of, well, your prime asset was a cow called Daisy, or, or you know. Yeah. Um, now, now people's you know prime asset you know is a house or a car or, or an electric vehicle which you know has, you know, a, a lot of metals in it. Mm -hmm. um, but back to resources on the moon because it's close. Yeah. The economics driving it. Um, it. It could be interesting to see how the economics kind of turn the screws on mining companies here on earth mm. and they say oh well you know we need we need these things um but the cost to go to space and do that is a hundred times what it costs on earth mm. now what happens if you have a, a a strange interplay where um an emerging superpower or, or power uh, i won't mention any names corners the rare earth metals market and then <laughs> does it um, begin with c and end with a vowel <laughs> yeah uh, could do. Uh, yeah. So what happens when they corner the market and another company, a country that uh, starts with an A and also ends with a vowel, um, realize that their supplies, you know, has, has been diminished mm. and they suddenly realize, well, hang on, we've got, you know, uh, a new generation of, of space enthusiasts. We have cheaper launch. Mm -hmm. um, we have these expensive programs that need to be used um all that would then be required is political will now this this is something completely different because if a space infrastructure was built purely on commercial grounds it would take a very high valuation for said resource but if the politics got involved and they said all right we we're going to do it because yeah. because we need we need a destination we're, we're sick of complaining about each other we're sick of you know rewriting the rules on politics and we want a different and we don't want to have a war because you know mm -hmm. that's just a waste let's let's go to the moon that that would be interesting yeah i i like that idea uh, national honor um that that sense of freedom and not being tied to uh, another organization or entity or country uh for a source of supply um that's very yeah. interesting because they're the profit motive is not there. You don't even need to make money in that situation. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you, you know, it's nice if you do, but yeah. break even is fine to get out of that situation of having somebody's boot on your neck about this yeah, particular topic. That hmm. and also this has been done before. This this mm -hmm. kind of concept is not new. You know, it's it's probably you know the reason the Roman Empire existed. Um, the the British Empire was all about going overseas, getting resources. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so the French were in it, the Spanish were in it, Spanish, yeah, Portuguese, the, the Dutch, and and the funny thing is, they all had at the peaks of their empires, they had you know the reserve currency status, hmm. you know, and it was based on solid, you know, trade and obviously a, a gold silver standard. Mm -hmm. um, 
So yeah, I, I, I think if, if it's a political initiative, it'll have to be tied to an economic initiative. And uh, then, you know, then the horses are out of the gate. Um, but for us, every, you know, in the, in the real world of, you know, space business modeling and, and investing, we just make sure that we're building this supply chain anyway. We're working at, we're building the business models anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's no use waiting for um, a political decision maker to right. arise from the ashes of today's chaos. Yeah, and the fashion of the moment. Yeah, because yeah. It, that's that's very fickle. And yeah, because I've noticed uh, things that are, oh, we can't possibly do that suddenly can become, well, obviously we're <laughs> doing it. Uh, yeah, when when that fickle will comes around, um, but waiting around, yeah, for that ignition to happen is uh, is a waste of time. So okay, so Simon, let's wrap up. But um, so I want you to say the organization again that you, that you work for and have founded. You you've actually got a couple. Um, how people can get a hold of you and what kind of uh, what kind of person or what kind of situation that they're in that makes sense uh, to reach out to you. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm the co-founder of Space Ventures Investors. We're registered in the UK. Uh, I'm also the, one of the co-founders and CEO of Space Commodities Exchange that's registered in the US. And just this year, I'm the co-founder and CEO or Geschäftsführer of uh, Lunar Resources Registry, um, which is based in Germany and which is entering a European Space Agency Business Incubation Center next month so we're still waiting on a final signature um these kind of three different kind of businesses all come together with with one theme and it it is driving towards space resources uh we space ventures investors is a shareholder driven company and if you're a retail investor and you want to enter into it we're always open to talking to people when when we do a capital raising um, on the other side, if you want to dip your toes in space investing, I, I, I can uh, urge people to have a look at all the different kind of space stocks out there because they're tradable, liquid. Um, and the deeper you go down that, that rabbit hole, um, it's just, it gets, it from a technological point of view, it gets very exciting and interesting to see what these different companies are doing. Now, because they're not always on, you know, on the NASDAQ, it's, it might be difficult to, to trade them. But it's, you know, the, re- the research is half the fun and trying to understand where, you know, what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, now, that, that's, that, the, that's a good way to get in as well. Okay. And, and I want to make it clear that your company is Space ventures ventures there is also a space duh with a d ventures which is a a different organization you guys are friendly uh, yeah no we we are actually we do talk yeah yeah and and, uh and so check out the link in the description below and uh, that'll get you to space ventures investors <laughs> right right different different organizations and uh, we're really original with our domain names right <laughs> well <laughs> we, we were one of the first in we, we set up space ventures investors about 10 years ago hmm. so we, we've been watching the the change in mentality towards space right. investing mm-hmm. which was it just it has come such a long way and um <clears throat> yeah well i really get that simon because i i, I feel I feel that same perceptive groping towards a solution, try to, you know, data's coming at you and, and you go out and you find more and, and you try to like, like I, I view it as like the, you get a camera and the lens is out of focus and you're slowly yeah. turning that focus wheel right around to, to get that picture into sharp focus. And then when it isn't focused, uh, or at least in focus enough, then that's the moment where you get the business model. And you're like, all right, I, I have I have my target. I, I know what we need to do here. Um, and then we can go out and do it. And to get there before everyone else is, uh, yep. is, the, is the goal, obviously. And um, I know from talking with you, uh, you know, off camera that you've spent a lot of time looking uh, and, and we've mentioned it, you know, like you said, during the last lockdown, 
um, at pieces of this puzzle and going, what, what is the deal here? <laughs> yeah. What is the deal? <laughs> what, is, what are we trying to, to accomplish or what's the, the engine? And um, so I, I'm excited about that. So thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you to uh, you being here. Yeah. And can, can I put one, one more thing in mm-hmm. um, the most interesting thing I've found about the space community is that for the younger generation um, who are, you know, bright, have incredible access to information. It's great for them because it is a growth industry, and and they will see more of it than than you and I will <laughs> because because mm-hmm. they're younger, you know. So, they're used to it, yeah. So if if you're if you're young, you know, and it's it's great to get into because it it'll be with you for you know right. forever. Indeed. All right, Simon Drake, uh, Space Ventures. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation, control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be you know, working with, compliant with. And we find a lot of folks don't even know about some of these areas. They don't even know that they exist. Can you imagine how you're going to stumble and stub your toe and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things? So come and talk to us. We've got great relationships with the right people, especially in the United States and in England, and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. And so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development roles, wow, have I seen some things in business development. You got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You're wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something that they teach you in school. I, I had to learn it myself, so don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, so either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time it sure can um, because people just do stuff. And the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. I like to point out our um, traffic signals for, for automobiles are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that, okay? So, and this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into, this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.